Good morning, church family. As always, I pray that you are well and that you are excited to be opening God's Word together this morning. Today we will be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And can I just say, I am really excited to be preaching from this text this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 is the first text that the man who discipled me asked me to memorize. Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 6 is the first text that I ever preached from. So it holds a very special place in my heart, and I am excited to share it with you this morning. Now, before we get to the sermon, in order to maintain proper context and understanding as to where we are at in this letter, we touched on the past two weeks that as Christians who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we are new creations in Christ. Thus, because we are new creations, it is now natural for us, or it is our desire to put away the old ways of life and our old habits of falsehood and corrupt speech, unrighteous anger, thievery, and wrath, and to exchange those habits for a renewed way of life, for truth, for righteous indignation, for generosity, for grace, and forgiveness. And new creations in Christ, Christians, they display these new distinctives in their life with the goal being to follow the example of Christ. Or more simply put, to be imitators of God. And that, my friends, is no small task. In fact, it is an impossible task to perfectly imitate God. But even though my two sons will never be exactly like me or able to imitate me perfectly, the world knows they are mine because they are my children. They look like me. They act like me. They have similar mannerisms and features and traits as me. And this, too, must be true of the Christian because we, too, have been born in the likeness of Christ as God's redeemed children. Which takes us to our thesis statement this morning, or the premise of our sermon today. And our thesis statement this morning is this. Christians have been called to be imitators of God and to reject the ways of the world which lead to eternal punishment. Again, our thesis statement this morning is this. Christians have been called to be imitators of God and to reject the ways of the world which lead to eternal punishment. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And even from home this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, grab your Bible, open it up, And follow along this beautiful text as we will be studying through Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. The Apostle Paul, he writes, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. 
Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and his work on the cross. We thank you that by grace, through faith, we have been saved. Lord, I thank you for this dear congregation. Lord, that even though we cannot meet, they are at home, hungry for your word. And Father, convict them this morning, I pray. I pray that your word showcases to them if there is even an ounce of sexual immorality or foolish talk or crude joking in their life. Convict them so that they can put it away. That they can mortify those sins and they can walk in love as Christ loved us. Lord, I pray for help this morning as I try to communicate your word clearly and boldly and humbly and truthfully. Lord, help my lisping, stammering, sinful tongue, I pray. Father, I pray that you do your work this morning. Through your word, convict your church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of three points this morning is this. Point number one. Christians have been called to be imitators of God. Christians have been called to be imitators of God. And we'll be in verses 1 and 2 for this. Which reads, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul starts in verse 1 with the word, Therefore. And in essence here, he's saying, Therefore, Christian, because you have put on the new self and you are created after the likeness of God, Ephesians 4.24, Therefore, Christian, because you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30, and forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you, Ephesians 4.32, Therefore, Christian, because you were chosen by God and in love predestined for adoption into his holy family, Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, because of all of that, Christian, who do you think you should look like? A child of wrath or a child of the Most High God? Yeah, a child of the Most High God. And you know what else? Children, they imitate their fathers. They follow their father's lead. Or the Greek word here translated imitate is the word we get mimic from. Children, they mimic their fathers. For example, my oldest son Theo, even though he's five, he already wants to take showers, he wants to work out, and he wants to drink coffee. Why? Because that is what his daddy does. My youngest son, Simon, who's only three, he likes the Raiders, my favorite football team. He wants to try hot sauce, 
and he consistently calls his mother beautiful. Why? Because that is what daddy does. So if we as children do this with our earthly, fallen, sinful father, how much more should we as the children of God want to imitate or mimic our heavenly father who is perfect and holy and righteous? I mean, endlessly more, right? But practically speaking, what exactly does imitating God look like? What specific characteristics of God should we initially be looking to imitate? Now, please don't overthink this, church. It is a common Sunday school answer. The answer, it is love. God is love. So church, let us love one another because love comes from God. 1 John 4, 7. Therefore, if you want to imitate God, then you must walk in love. And how are we to do this? Verse 2. It says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Simply love others in the same way, following the same pattern that Christ loved you. Love others in the same way or following the same pattern that Christ loved you. Now I want to clarify this. Because the love described here, to love like Jesus Christ, this love is not a love that loves only because you like someone or think highly of someone or get a butterfly feeling in your stomach because of someone. This love is not a love that loves because you want to get something out of your love or because someone is so amazing or worth being loved. No, to love like Christ is to love without conditions self-sacrificially. It's a forgiving love instead of a grudge-holding. It's a serving love instead of a demanding. It's a willing love that is focused on the good of others. That is the love of Jesus Christ. So if you want to imitate God, then love a world that is hard to love and expect absolutely nothing in return. And this is possible Because we as believers have been born again and have experienced the love of Christ. Thus, because we have experienced the love of Christ, we've been redeemed by the love of Christ and have the love of Christ dwelling in us, we can now share as God's children the love of Christ with a world that desperately needs it. Listen carefully to this phrase, church, or this statement. Behold in Christ the seeking God. He comes to seek and save the lost. Behold in Christ the seeking God. He comes to seek and save the lost. I read a story this week by a Chinese convert who expressed that truth this way. He said, a man fell into a deep, muddy, slippery pit. And as he laid at the bottom, Confucius looked in and said, My friend, I am sorry for you. If you ever get out of this place, take care that you never fall in again. And then a Buddhist priest came along. 
and said, I grieve to see your plight. If you can manage to climb up two-thirds of the way, or even halfway, I might be able to help you out the rest of the way. But unable to raise even a finger, such advice was a mockery. Then Christ came by, and in love he descended into the pit and lifted the man to safety. That self-sacrificial, unconditional, genuinely willing love is the difference between Christ and the others. Verse 2 says that Christ gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The measure of Christ's love, it included the willingness to die for us and to be the sacrifice for our sins and appease the wrath of God toward us. Now, please do not take from this, wow, that is a deep kind of love. I wonder what I did to deserve such a thing because the answer is nothing. The answer is nada. Romans 5, 8 says that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is the point we must love others and love a world that didn't do anything to deserve our love. And we do it because we have been loved by Christ first. And then we are motivated to display the gospel, the love of Christ to a world that desperately needs it. Thus self-sacrificially, unconditionally, and willingly love your brother and sister in Christ and your enemies. And in doing so, you will naturally imitate the love of God as his redeemed children for his glory. Which takes us to point number two, which is this. The children of God who are called to be imitators of God reject then the ways of the world. The children of God who are called to be imitators of God reject then the ways of the world. Verses 3 and 4. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So, you say you are a Christian. You say you are a child of the Most High God and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Then, verse 3, sexual immorality, whether it is lust or pornography, fornication, homosexuality, adultery, it must not be named among you. And all impurity, whether sexual impurity or any other area of sin, it must not be named among you. Or covetousness, greed, or a desire for more than God has given you, you got it. It must not be named among you. Why, verse 3, because it's not proper among the saints. And you might be sitting at home thinking, but Wes, those are like impossible standards. I mean, we are sinners, and I get it. We need to try to be as good as we can. But isn't there just a little wiggle room with God and his standard for just a little pornography here and there? Or just a couple chapters of that exotic romance novel that I like? Or just a hint of fantasizing on Facebook? And the answer is no. 
Christian, not even a hint of this garbage should you feel comfortable with being a part of your life. But that is not it. Oh no, Paul goes on in verse 4. He says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Sound familiar? It should, as it's similar to what we talked about last week in Ephesians 4, verse 29. Remember that as new creations, we are to put away corrupting talk and replace it with speech that builds up. Thus, our tongues must not have even a hint, point four, excuse me, verse 4, of filthiness, which is disgusting or indecent language. Our tongues must not have even have a hint of foolish talk. And the Greek word here is the word we get moron from. So it's describing that of a fool just running his mouth or talking just to talk. Or our tongues must not even have a hint of crude joking. And we all have been exposed to this. Crude joking here is making or turning a comment someone says into something that is sexual or something that is foul. Church, as Christians redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, as new creations, not only should these sexual sins and these sins of the tongues not be practices in our lives, we shouldn't want even a hint of them in our lives, and they should not be named among us. Why? Verse 4, because they are out of place for the children of God. These behaviors, these lusts, these crude forms of speech, they don't fit in amongst the saints. They are counter to our new identity in Christ, and they are contrary and opposite to the character of our Heavenly Father. These sinful patterns in the life of a Christian, they are birds trying to swim with fish in the ocean. They are cows trying to climb with monkeys. They are polar bears trying to cool off in the desert. They are tigers trying to survive in the Arctic. They are not proper. They are out of place. They don't add up, and they do not make any sense. And here is the scary thing, and please listen to me carefully. The person who says that they are a Christian, but makes a practice of covetousness, or sexual immorality, or crude joking, or filthiness, that way of life, that path, it is unsurvivable, and it only leads to death. The person who claims that they are a Christian but makes a practice of covetousness or sexual immorality or crude joking or filthiness, that way of life, that path, it is unsurvivable and it only leads to death. Which brings us to point number three. No matter what you call yourself, if you practice and live by the ways of the world, It leads to eternal punishment and death. Point number three, no matter what you call yourself, if you practice and live by the ways of the world, it leads to eternal punishment and death. Verses five and six. They read, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
Paul begins with, for you may be sure of this. Paul is saying with certainty to his Ephesian readers and to all the Christian readers throughout Asia Minor, don't play games. I know this. You know this. Every Christian out there knows this. Everyone whose practice of life, everyone whose pattern of life, everyone whose way of life exhibits sexually immoral or impure behavior or who is covetous, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. They have no inheritance whatsoever. But Wes, you said back when we started this thing that all believers are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our eternal inheritance. Ephesians 1 verse 14. Thus, don't all believers receive an inheritance? Yeah. The answer is yes. But church, the person who lives consistently in the darkness of their sins, whereas it is the pattern of their life or their way of life, and they are bold in these sins, unapologetic about these sins, unrepentant over these sins, they are not a child of the Most High God. 1 John chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Thus, if the child of wrath, if the children of darkness make the practice of sinning and sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness an unapologetic, unrepentant pattern in their life and it leads to no eternal inheritance, then why would the believer have any interest in this way of life? It makes no sense. Hence why it is proper for us to run and to flee from these sins. Now, as is always the case with a text like this, I am sure we have people listening who are nervous, maybe confused, maybe shaken a bit, thinking, well, I sinned sexually last week and lusted while I was online. Or I had impure thoughts about a co-worker last week, and I hate those thoughts, and I repented of those thoughts, and I want those thoughts to go away. But do these sins mean that I am not saved and that I have no inheritance in the kingdom of God? And brother Christian, sister Christian, be at peace this morning. That conviction of sin that hatred of sin, and that repentance of sin, it displays that you are a child of God. As the reformer John Calvin wrote, when men have repented and thus give evidence that they are reconciled to God, they are no longer the same persons that they formerly were. But let all fornicators or unclean or covetous persons, so long as they continue such, be assured that they have no friendship with God and are deprived of all hope of salvation. Simply, church, a lit candle does not project darkness. 
nor does the true, unregenerate Christian protect project a life of unrepentant sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, filthiness, foolish talk, or crude joking. And because of this reality, Paul finishes with this in verse 6. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You see, church, If you want someone who claims to be a Christian to tell you that your sins are okay, if you are looking for someone who claims to be a Christian that will tell you that your sins are no big deal and that you don't need to worry about them and that you can still get into heaven and have your inheritance and live however you want, however sexually immoral you want, those false teachers, they are out there. And here are just three statements from false teachers who claim to be Christians concerning their acceptance of sexual sin. Quote number one, creation is not black and white, it is amazingly diverse. Like a rainbow, including sexualities and a variety of non-heterosexual expressions of behavior, affection, and partnering. Quote number two, Marriage is an insufficient norm or an unsatisfactory norm for good, holy sex. Quote number three, whatever sexual flourishing looks like for you, that's what I would love to see happen in your life. And church, these are empty words coming from people who claimed to be wise, but they became unwise and exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And they are looking for ways to make nice with their sin, with their sexual immorality, with their impurity, with their idolatry. And Paul is clear that the sons of disobedience who make nice with their sin, who love their sin, who unapologetically practice their sin and play unrepentantly in their sin, it leads, verse 6, to the wrath of God. It leads to the wrath of God. In John Chapman's revival sermons, he noted that in the 1900s, an Australian pastor named Henry Howard once preached a strong message on sin. Afterwards, an officer of his church said to him, Mr. Howard, we don't want you to talk as plainly as you do against sin. Could you call it a mistake or an error, but please don't speak so plainly about sin? So Howard took a small bottle down off the shelf, and he showed it to the man. It was a bottle of strychnine, which is found in many pesticides and is marked poison. He said, I see what you want me to do. You want me to change the label. Suppose I take this label of poison and put on it some mild label, such as essence of peppermint. Don't you see what happens? The milder you make the label, the more dangerous you make the poison. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Church, heed this warning. 
We must see sin for what it is. We must call sin what it is. We must recognize the destructive effects that sin brings about. And as the child of God, we must want no part of it. Therefore, brother Christian, sister Christian, flee from these sins. Run from sexual immorality. Abhor impurity and repent over and over and over of your idolatry because it only leads to the wrath of God. No matter what the depraved world says, a life full of sexual immorality, impurity, and idolatry, it only leads to the wrath of God. No no matter what the depraved world who cling to it says. And as we close this morning, I'll begin with the non-Christian listening first. First off, non-Christian, thank you for listening this morning. It is an honor to share with you God's Word. However, non-Christian, unlike the deceptive and empty words of the false teachers who were just quoted a moment ago, the Scriptures... The very word of God, they are clear. They are black and white. And as Paul writes this to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But, oh, that word but, you see, non-Christian, there is hope. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Non-Christian, no matter your past way of life, no matter your past sins, no matter your past lusts or idolatries or immoralities, you can still be saved. You can still be washed. You can still be sanctified and justified and eternally glorified. How? By repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin and reconcile you back to God forever. You see, Jesus Christ, he came into this world to save sinners. Sinners like you and sinners like me. And he willingly humbled himself as God and took on human flesh. And the life that we could never live, a life that is perfect and obedient and faithful to the precepts of God, Jesus Christ, he lived it here on earth without sin. The life or you or I could never live, Jesus Christ, he lived it. And as a perfect, sinless being, Jesus Christ offered himself as a sacrifice for the sins of his children. And in a true act of unconditional, sacrificial love, Jesus Christ bore the wrath that we deserve for our sin. And he was beaten. He was tortured. He was crucified on a cross. And he died for the sins of his children. However, being that he never sinned, 
and being that he was God, and being that his perfect life was accepted on our behalf, three days later, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning he conquered sin and death forever. Thus, non-Christian, if you repent of your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sins, as the only one who paid the price for your sins, as the only one who can clothe you in his righteousness and reconcile you back to God, then today you will be saved. Today you will be forgiven and today you will be redeemed. Thus, let today be the day that you are washed clean of your sin, sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Non-Christian, let today be the day. And to the Christian that is listening this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, when I was going through the BFC's ordination process, The first part of the interview is a sit-down with a BFC pastor. And mine was with Dave Gundrum, who many of you met back in March when he preached here at the church. And toward the end of the interview, he asked me this. He said, Wes, how are your hands? How are your eyes? How is your mind? And I was taken back for a second until I realized that he was asking about my sexual morality. He was asking about my purity. He was asking about my contentness in Christ. And he lovingly asked me to examine and consider these things, not as the world would, but in view of the holy holy and perfect standard of God in whom we are called to imitate. Please understand this, church, the crudeness, the darkness, the sexual immorality of the world, that is not our measuring rod. We cannot say that we are imitators of God if we condemn sexual immorality on Facebook only to switch tabs on our computer and watch pornography for two hours. We cannot say we are imitators of God if we pretend to have the perfect family in public only to go home and tear down our spouse and our kids. We cannot be imitators of God if we give reluctantly and out of compulsion to the poor only to worship the idol of our wealth behind clothes doors. Church, our goal and our aim is not just to be holier than the depraved world. Our goal and our aim is to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. Our aim is to be merciful just as our Father is merciful. Luke 6, 36. Our aim, it is to be blameless and innocent without blemish in a crooked and twisted generation in which we shine as lights in the world. Philippians 2, 215 and that means church that we need to be honest with ourselves and probe and inspect and examine every area of our lives in light not of the depraved world but in light of the holiness of God 
and where we see even a hint of sexual immorality or impurity or covetousness or filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, by God's grace, we must turn from it. We must abhor it. We must repent of it and lay that sin down at the foot of the cross because we bear it no more. Do not cling to these aforementioned counterfeit gods as they only lead to paths of sorrow and pain and wrath. But instead, brother Christian, sister Christian, if you want true happiness, if you want true peace, if you want true freedom, then be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body be who we were called to be. Lord, we were not called to look like the world, but we were called to look like you. Thus, any filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, let them not be named among us. Any sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness, let them not be named among us. And let them be replaced, Lord, with a spirit of thankfulness, a spirit of forgiveness, and a spirit of love. We have been called to follow the pattern of Christ to love others like Christ, to serve others like Christ, and to walk boldly in the ways of Christ. Therefore, help us, Lord, to know that the sinful pleasures of this world, they are counterfeits, they are false joys, they are false hopes. And let us in one voice cry out as a church body, but as for me, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Help us, Lord, to forsake the world and as your children be imitators of you and only you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, May we never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to us and us to the world. Lord, help us flee from all these counterfeit gods that we see all around us, impurity, idolatry, sexual immorality, immorality, crude joking. Let us flee. They should not be named among us. It leads to wrath. That pattern of life leads to the wrath of God. Thus, why do we have any interest in it whatsoever? Father, by your grace, continue to help us turn from it more and more, to abhor it more and more, to mortify those sins in our life so we can walk in the love of Jesus Christ that we can serve others unconditionally, without any strings attached, expecting nothing in return. Because as your children, we have experienced love. We have been loved first. Let us share that love with the world, I pray. In Jesus' name. Our benediction this morning comes from Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, which reads, 
But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Be at peace, church. Be at peace.